Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Moe, and myself have a special show for you today. It is a Q&A, and so please sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bowe, and I have with me the regular cast of characters. <laughs> the usual suspects. Yes. Kaiser Soze, Pastor Jason Goodham, and Pastor Brian Rickey. Awesome. It's good to see you guys today. And we have a special episode for you all today. We are doing our... What's uh, all baseball? Is that yeah. only no, no, totally no, no, baseball? No. Is that someday, what we're doing? Someday no. Brett and I will start a baseball podcast just for Lutherans. That'd be fun. I would yeah, like that. That would yeah. be. Yep. Uh, no, we've got a Q&A. Uh, we've done one of these before. We're going to do another one. This one comes uh, via the generosity of a friend of the podcast, Pastor Dennis Norby, who right. graciously donated five copies of the uh, the opus for the podcast, <laughs> God at Work, by yes. Gene Veith. Gene Wait, Veith is, is, that, the, is that about vocation? Yes. Gene <laughs> Veith is the patron saint of the Being vocation. podcast. <laughs> invocation. Nice. We should start selling necklaces and then we can... I'm just kidding. Uh, It'd be fun to interview him someday. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah I, I know people who know him, so we, we, we've got to get there eventually, but... Uh, yeah, it's so we're gonna answer questions. We a few weeks ago we opened it up for questions on Facebook and Twitter, and we got mm-hmm. a handful of them. And whoever's questions we answer on the podcast uh, will get a free copy of the book God at Work. It's a print. Yeah, it's awesome. an analog book, the way books were meant to be read <laughs> with paper and ink. Uh, <laughs> um, That's debatable. <laughs> no, it's not debatable at mm. all. Like, and you know this. You read uh, read the shallows. Electronic. I have read that. Digital ma- yes. material affects our brain differently than anything else. So yeah, <laughs> there's a plug for uh, Nicholas Carr. There you go. Yeah. And the one honorable mention that has nothing to do with yeah. theology <laughs> question way to go, uh, was by, by Keith. Yeah, by Keith. Keith, will the Vikings ever win a Super Bowl? I predicted within the next five years. Wow. So the, the appropriate answer is probably not, but this could be our year. <laughs> I, I, the motto of yeah. every Vikings fan everywhere is this could be our year. Yeah. Fantastic. So I'm just going to say in the next five years. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But. Hey, I mean, the Cubs won a World Series. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> that is true. And the Red Sox did, too. We've got curses dropping all over the place. Mm-hmm. But. I don't think the Vikings are historically cursed. Like we don't have the Billy Goat, we don't have yeah, the curse all of the Babe Ruth, missed field goals, and we're just bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the difference. But oh, uh, we we've already gone too long. We've got about four minutes yeah. per question. If we want to do all five, uh, and in spoiler alert, uh, it's probably not going to happen. Question number one: yeah. Our randomly generated questions. <laughs> we need a sounder. <laughs> we need a soundboard from, oh, from Press Your Luck. Remember right. when they were scrambling yeah. the board? Yeah, that's what we need. Uh, I'll see if I can actually read this on my phone. I have to do a lot of scrolling, but yeah. or I could just use Brian's computer. There, there we, we go. go. Yeah, Google uh, Google awesome. Docs Whoa. not great on phones. No. <laughs> um, all right. First question comes from. Is it Hans or Hans? Hans, Hans, Hans and Franz. Hans and Franz. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! Rockets will be done. Nice. Okay, Hans. We're going to pump you Tanner, up. Tanner, yes. He's going to pump us up with this good question here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, you should just edit that sorry. out. <laughs> All right. He says this. Are there any ways in which the forgiveness of God is limited in how or to whom it is extended? 
It's a somewhat rhetorical question, but I think the conversation is always beneficial. And in this case, I'm thinking less of the person that we typically think of as the horrible sinner and more so a brother or sister in Christ whose actions in the congregation we perpetually find annoying. All right. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, there's multiple ways to look at this. And, and actually, this, is, this question is a major struggle in denominations that are descended from the historic pietism movement. Uh, mm-hmm. and many uh, of the denominations that were birthed, including the AFLC, that were say, birthed yep, including in us. Uh, mm-hmm. pietism, really react strongly against the objective preaching of the gospel and, and things like the absolution. We've touched on that in the past uh, because it's the fear that we will comfort unrepentant sinners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we want to say, first of all, God's forgiveness in a vacuum, <laughs> I guess, mm-hmm. is limitless. There are no Amen. limits mm-hmm. to God's forgiveness. The nature of the gospel is that Christ died once for the sins of all people right. for all time. Yep. Uh, you, you get that John three sixteen for God so loved the world. You get that first John 2, 2. Hebrews. That, uh, the blood of Christ is the propitiation for our sins and not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. It's in Hebrews. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, wherever... The once and for all sacrifice. Yep. yep. Yeah. So wherever... Uh, the gospel is preached, it's preached to everyone. And, and, and this is a fundamental uh, disagreement between Calvinism and Lutheranism. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that, yeah. yeah, limited. Yeah, the atonement. limited atonement. In the uh, tulip. The, yeah, in the tulip. Very good. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, in, in the system of Calvinism, the gospel is not available to everyone because if you are reprobate, if you are damned mm-hmm. from eternity, right. uh, the gospel is not for you, even if you hear it. In the Lutheran Church, the gospel's for everyone, uh, but it can be rejected because the gospel is delivered through means. Mm-hmm. Now, to to walk back to Hans's question here, um, the gospel is available to all, but it is not received by faith through the unrepentant. Mm-hmm. The unrepentant yes, person. Right. Uh, it's not that they can't be forgiven, is that they won't because they're not repenting. And, and so that's the limits of the gospel, which is why uh, in our church body, we, we are constantly emphasizing the preaching that you preach the law in all its sternness mm-hmm. and you preach the gospel in all its sweetness. Hashtag Dr. Bunseth. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, oh, miss that guy. And, uh, yeah, me too. The, the whole picture there is that we aren't doing the work of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. when we preach. We right. are... We, the Holy Spirit is working through us, but we are to just preach the text. Mm-hmm. And then the Holy Spirit to, to the unrepentant will apply God's word of law mm-hmm. to break that person of their sin. And to those who are crushed and repentant and contrite, uh, they receive the comfort of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the God's forgiveness will not be received by an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and so those are the limits. So if, which is why to to again return back to Hans's question, uh, if we find uh, one of our brothers or sisters in Christ in the congregation to be living in repetitive, unrepentant mm-hmm. sin, we should be especially concerned for that person, and we should start going down the route of Matthew eighteen, mm-hmm. because the whole purpose of right. discipline and confrontation in the church is repentance. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it, consistently in Scripture, the purpose of God's judgment through the law is always repentance. And you, you all you need to do is go to Revelation into the to the teens chapters when when some of the 
the seals are being opened and, and these judgments of God are being poured out. And the commentary uh, that John records for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that the people did not repent. So mm-hmm. even God's eschatological judgments that, you know, as we... Well, there's a 25-cent word. Yeah, yeah, right. As, as yep. we march closer to Christ's return, uh, those judgments are meant to bring about repentance. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the key. If, if there is a repentant person, we are to apply the gospel to their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. Awesome. Yeah. Brian, do you have anything to add before we move on to the next question? Nope. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> I'm going to call a little bit of an audible, and instead of going to our next question, I'm going to skip to one of the other questions because I think it dovetails nicely into right. what we were just talking about. And this question comes from Mark Keller, and he says this, When the law is preached, does every hearer hear the same use? Will one hear it as a guide to Christian living, and then the person next to them as a mirror showing their sin? All right. Thanks, Mark, for your question. That's a great question, Mark, from Kansas. Uh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's from St. Francis, Kansas, or oh. thereabouts. He's cool. a rancher. Um, nice. Yeah, that's perhaps too personal information. <laughs> I don't think that I gave away social security numbers or yeah, anything right. you can get a mortgage application ready for. Um Boy, this is one of my personal wheelhouses, and I love it. Yeah, this right. is, uh, and, and I guess I, I wanted to have that because really the last question was kind of about how how is a gospel applied. Mm-hmm. This one's a little more how is a law applied. Yeah, and so uh, one of the reasons, and this is the primary reason that I emphasize functions of the law and not uses mm-hmm. of the law. Uh, for the purpose that when we preach the law, because it's the Holy Spirit working on the lives of people, mm-hmm. not the preacher— uh, which does not excuse us from preaching a good sermon. It does not excuse us from doing our research, from mm-hmm. from crafting an artful sermon, yep. all of that. But when we preach, uh, the people sitting there are going to be at different stages in this cycle of repentance and faith and, and obedience and, and whatnot. And so we simply preach what the text says. Now, a lot of the times, especially now this year, we're in the three-year common lectionary at Faith, mm-hmm. and I'm preaching through the epistle lessons. There's a lot of practical application and very specific practical application in the epistles. So I preach that. Mm-hmm. Now, that does not make my sermon a third use of the law sermon. Mm-hmm. Because even as I preach specific examples, and in the passage I always go to when I talk about this is Romans 12, mm-hmm. 9 and following. Romans 12, 9 is let love be genuine, uh, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, outdo one another in, in, in showing each other honor, things like that. Uh, if I preach that and there's practical advice there, uh, one person is going to hear that and they're going to be crushed by their sinful behavior toward their brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, another person is going to hear that and say, that is great advice. I'm going to strive to do that now that I know it. Mm-hmm. And those are two very different responses from uh, one preaching of the word. And, and mm-hmm. so uh, I think historically uses of the law lends itself to the miscommunication that I, as the preacher, pick out which use, decide how the law is going to be preached. And I don't. Now, again, if there's specific instruction, if there's condemnation of specific sin, we should do that. And we should utilize the church calendar to do that. On Sanctity of Life Sunday in January, we should preach against abortion. Uh, when uh, the, the uh, Bible condemns uh, racism, 
you know, it talks about that there's no slave nor free nor barbarian nor Scythian, things like that. We should preach specifically against racism in the culture today. Mm -hmm. But how that law is received Mm-hmm. In the hearts and minds of the people hearing the preached right. word, that is up to the Holy Spirit. Yep. And the parable of the four soils really comes to play yep. here. Exactly. You know. Great example. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I can't remember where I heard this, but I, I don't know if it was in seminary days or after, but they were teaching how to teach their preach the law. And the thing that stuck in my mind is is just that we should insist on the law, that insist that they do it or in, mm-hmm. insist on it. And that's preaching the law in all its sternness. Yeah, it, 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 you, you preach it mm-hmm. uh, as if uh, you are preaching to the vilest sinner. Mm-hmm. But you can also preach the law with gentle instruction when it's delivered mm-hmm. as gentle instruction. But uh, the, the point is to not pull punches. Mm-hmm. The point is not to preach the aw shucks gospel that your mm-hmm. sins don't matter. The point is to convict of sin and then to forgive of sin. That's mm-hmm. the whole office of preaching right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Well, let's move on. The next question comes from Joe. Um, and how He's do you Fre- is it Freck. Freck, okay. Sorry, Joe. I, I should know that. Yeah, it's a former uh, member of my congregation. Yes. So Joe asked this question, what is, and this is the, the question that will pull in our favorite word, vocation. Yes. What's the correlation between vocation and sanctification? Would it involve physically being better at your job in response to the work of the Holy Spirit on your life? Thanks, Joe, for your question. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I love this question so much. Yeah. <laughs> Lobbing softballs right now. <laughs> Vocation is where you live out your sanctification, if you're, mm-hmm. you're going to oversimplify it. Sure. Uh, we remember, as we've talked about it uh, in the past, that sanctification happens when we repent of our sins and we have the gospel applied to us. The modern conception of sanctification in the church is that we are getting better at not sinning. Well, it is certainly true that we should be getting better at our obedience as, as we progress, as we mature in our Christianity, which is probably the better word. Uh, sanctification happens as we become assured of our salvation, mm-hmm. not, not, comfortable in our salvation so that we're dismissing sin, but assured of our salvation so that we're not hesitating to confess our sin. And if you look scripturally, uh, that assurance and humility kind of go hand in hand and that as your assurance grows, your humility grows because you understand that whole reality that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Mm -hmm. And as you grow in maturity, you understand how dependent you are upon the righteousness of Christ alone. And that's where that humility comes from, and that's where sanctification comes from, too, is just a total and utter dependency upon the cross of Christ and his righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so where vocation comes into play then with our sanctification is that that's where we live out our lives, uh, informed by the law, excuse me, informed by the law, uh, <laughs> Um. And that's where the law drives us to repentance. And so in vocation, we're simply looking for someone to love. Hmm. We're, we're looking where to direct our good works. And, and, and that's where God's law comes in, in, in directing us how to love. Mm-hmm. And then God's law comes into play as we are attempting that in convicting us that we're not loving enough. And, and so the response then should not be to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. It should not be to try harder, do more, or be better, the response should be repentance. Mm-hmm. And we would remember that the Christian life at any given moment, what God's will for us right now is to repent. Mm-hmm. 
that we might receive the gospel, that we might be forgiven. And then God's will is to go and love our neighbors. And we love our neighbors. We live that life of vocation under the assurance of salvation. Uh, vocation is completely meaningless and pointless if someone's not assured of their salvation because it can't be done. It mm-hmm. won't be done. We will always be competing with other people for good works so that we look better and we are always be exhausting ourselves trying to earn God's favor instead of just freely going out and loving our neighbor because all we need for life and salvation is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, awesome. All right, let's move on to the next question. And uh, I almost have this evil laugh, like try to answer this one in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. um, this is, Five minutes left. Here we go. All uh, right, this is from <laughs> David Olson. He says... Uh, wait, is this our? This is our fourth is fourth, fourth question, question. Yeah. and you're all getting your book. Uh, he says this. So we just finished our municipal, municipal election season here in Sufu, this Sioux Falls. Ma- magical <laughs> land of Sufu, Sufu <laughs> from Doctor Seuss. Apparently, uh, he says this just in time to start the primary season for the 2018 midterm election season, which will be immediately followed up by the start of the 2020 presidential election season. So my question: How do I love my neighbor in politics? Both, how do I decide how to vote in a way that loves my neighbor, and how do I interact with people with whom I strongly disagree on politics on Facebook? All that that last part was my addition. <laughs> so, so just a point of clarification: was your challenge to answer this question in less than five minutes, or was the question to read yeah. the question in less than five minutes? <laughs> there, there's a, that is a there's a lot of that is a whole there. buffet. Of... Right. Well, just pull, th- out, pull I, out the one. Yeah. And I think the voting part is actually a. It can be more simple. It's not always, it doesn't always play out in its application as being simple. But the simple answer is voting for a candidate that best upholds the Ten Commandments because that is loving your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's always been a great guide for me as someone told that to me because I'm not as smart uh, to come up with that originally, but using the Ten Commandments as as a guide because it brings order out of chaos is one of the, yep. the functions. And so as we think about that, looking at the Ten Commandments, looking at the candidate, what candidate is going to uphold the Ten Commandments as best as possible, understanding that they're, they're sinners. And, and there are multiple ways to even prioritize and order that. So the first thing we would say is that voting— is part of your vocation as a citizen, and it is one of the ways you love your neighbor by voting your conscience, especially your Christian conscience. Uh, but there are several issues that come into play for, for many Christians, and rightly so. Uh, issues of life are highly important, and, and many Christians are single-issue voters when it comes down to that. They mm-hmm. refuse to vote to some, for someone who is pro-choice. Uh, there's matters, I, I know a handful of people uh, there's matters of caring for your own family that inform voting. And, and I had a couple of very realistic situations in, in my personal context where a family, uh, if Obamacare was repealed in a certain way, would lose the ability to medically care for one of their children. And so that informed their voting as well because, you know, your children are absolutely your neighbor and mm-hmm. you want to protect them. Uh, and, and so that's it. Uh, uh, you know, voting uh, for marriage issues mm-hmm. is a way to love your neighbor. Again, Brian, you brought it up and it's brilliant mm-hmm. because we want an ordered society that mm-hmm. God has designed creation to function in a way. And when creation functions in a certain way, even with people who disagree with us religiously, it's better for everyone. Mm-hmm. When the family is strong, and secular statistics bear mm-hmm. this out, not yeah, just religious exactly. ones, but when the family is strong, society is strong. Uh, you, you, you think about uh, how far American society and in, in the world in general has degenerated through no-fault divorce. Mm-hmm. 
or, or through cohabitation leading to children rather than having this nuclear family where a child is raised with a mother and a father uh, in that environment. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these are issues we should be concerned about. Now, as we were kind of prepping for this episode, uh, Brian, you and I were talking about this a little bit. Uh, we can't let politics get in the way of vocation. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. And, and so these are, these are you know, it, it's kind of like asking the question, why are some people saved and why are some people not saved? The, the first thing you do is those are two separate questions. That this, the Bible does answer separately. Yeah, yeah yes. those are two separate questions. This is the same thing, is how do I uh, handle politics as a Christian and how do I love my neighbor who disagrees with me? Mm-hmm. Two separate questions. As... Uh, in political cases, as a citizen, you have the vocation here in America that we have freedom to vote and the right to vote. So we exercise those freedoms. As members of society, we love our neighbors even when and maybe even especially when they disagree with us. We should extend Mm -hmm. humanity Mm -hmm. uh, to those we disagree with even violently. We should extend love Mm -hmm. and and humility. Uh, And, you know, we should all strive if, if... uh, someone is of a different political color than you are, red, blue, green. <laughs> right, G-Biv. Yeah. Uh, you should be able to see them as uh, another human created mm-hmm. in the image of God. Ascribing yeah. insurmountable worth to every single human being, regardless of their ideology or their political stance, because it's someone who Jesus died for. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if we are called through the words of Scripture to love uh, the jihadist, who would want us dead. We certainly, as Christians, can love the Democrat or the Republican, the Hillary supporter or the Trump supporter, mm-hmm. who, despite all of the rhetoric on unhelpful things of social media, mm-hmm. probably does not want us dead. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And, and I think this is all exacerbated by the the social media issue where we believe our right is to spew whatever opinion comes into our mind immediately and people have to listen to that opinion and honor that opinion. That's not the case at all. But we should be out there loving our neighbor. Yeah. The thing that I've taught my kids, I have four boys, and um, a couple of them are are more politically minded and more interested in those things. And I just told them, I said, anytime your political stand supersedes the gospel of Christ, you are in the wrong. And you got to understand the balance between the two, you know. And this is part of that two kingdom theology mm-hmm. that we were talking about that that we are aliens in a foreign land. And so, honestly, great examples for us will be Joseph, Daniel, uh, you know, Meshach, mm-hmm. Shadrach, and Abednego, Rakshak, yeah. and Benny, you know, uh, <laughs> and even I know, and and even and even the apostles. Um, as the, the the church was founded upon Christ, and all of them were governed by foreign governments that did not hold to a biblical worldview at all. Yeah. And and just looking at how Daniel existed, how Joseph existed, uh, how even Paul existed as he had to go through the the Roman criminal justice system because of of him uh, and the Jewish people accusing him of proclaiming. Uh, the gospel, basically. And so how we can really see, if we really look at them and how they lived it out, the gospel always came first. When there comes a point in time when we as Christians in a secular society must say we must obey God rather than men. Yeah, yeah right. But when we do that, 
we accept the consequences that exactly. come our way. Mm-hmm. If and that leads to martyrdom, God be praised yep. that he sustains us in the faith and mm-hmm. that we can be a witness and a testimony in that way. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we would remember as Christians is because we're Christians, we individually don't have rights. Yeah. Our, our fate, for lack of a better term, is tied up in our eternity with Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, as citizens of America... We have rights. We're yeah. simultaneously and, ruler and servant. Yeah, we, the Christian mm-hmm. is the is uh, servant of none, Lord over all, mm-hmm. and master of none, servant of all. Simultaneously, mm-hmm. I think that's the Luther quote. Uh, we w- remember that. Now, that is not to say that we allow ourselves to be walked all over. We don't report, report abuse or anything nope. like that. We don't want to be nope. one of those Church Two enablers, uh, or, or the enablers that. The Church Two movement has come out of, I should rather say, uh, part of loving your neighbor is holding them accountable for crimes that they might come to repentance. At the same time, uh, we would say that if the call is to love our neighbor, we always are putting them first. And Christians need to remember that. Remember, going way back to the beginning of the podcast, one of the purposes of the law is to protect our neighbor from our sinful selves. Mm -hmm. Because we always care about how the law is broken to harm us, but we never want to talk about how we're breaking the law to harm us. And and that's Philippians 2, all played out, you know, that Christ did not put his his needs. Yeah, exactly. We put the needs of others as more important than ourselves. And we do this as an act of worship to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. All right. Fifth question. Now, we're already Pause. 24 yeah. minutes, so we'll have to Next leave time. the final book giveaway uh, on a cliffhanger. And and we've got several big ones, so we might uh, relook at it and do an entire episode on one of these bigger uh, questions to chew on. All right. All right. And. I suppose if, if they haven't sent their address information to us to go ahead uh, and... Everyone we've got so far, I have ability to contact personally okay, to good. send that to. Okay. So, yep. All right. Uh, Brian, do you have a, a verse to close this or yes, no? Always. Okay, good. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on iTunes. Please join us next episode when Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and myself continue our discussion on the Lord's Prayer. God bless you and have a great day.